there's so much. To, there's so much to be said, John. So much. I to be don't said. want this to just be like, and we talk about the big movie that came out this week. Like that's all. That's that's. that's I'm afraid we're trending in that zone, and I'm just kind of tired of that. That's all. <laughs> what else are we supposed to talk about? <laughs> you think people would rather listen to that or my recommendation of the documentary Dear Zachary? Like, what do you think? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for finally getting around to watching that. that that's been out for years. Come on. <laughs> Catch up, bro. Well, everyone says it's like the saddest movie of all time. And they were right. Mm. <laughs> no, that's great for the Fireflies. We already covered that one. Okay, fine. Fair <laughs> enough. Remember, that's the movie that opens with a child dying of starvation in the streets, alone and unloved. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Hey, everybody, welcome to Trailer Talk, where we talk about trailers. (laughs) Oh, boy. Whoa, and it's been a wild ride this week. (laughs) Hope you're all excited. One of my Mike from fucking Red Letter Media. Jesus. <laughs> that did sound exactly like Mike Staclossen doing his like silly, like, whoa, voice. Whoa. Movie trailers. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they haven't done that in a while. Maybe they're too dead inside or out on the outside as well. Who knows? <laughs> I think it's because like, there's no point in parody anymore. Yeah, that's true. Like everything. Honestly, there was like, I was on Twitter and someone responded to a tweet in a jokey way and i was reading the original tweet and i really honestly could not tell you if it was a parody or a joke or if it was really sincere because it was one of those like you know conservative like fuckwads from fucking newsmax <laughs> so i'm like is this a joke is this a par- i don't i don't, don't know what's happening anymore that's, everything i hate that's I the hate draw again. of social media that's the draw mm. of social media it gives you a little bit of everything it gives you the whole rich tapestry of life um I between see. earnestness and uh cynicism just a broad spectrum of everything in between. Um, and I feel like we ride that line sometimes. Because uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about two trailers. We're recording this in the midst of the release of two big trailers. One, uh, we be- what we believe will be the final, final, final trailer of uh, Black Widow, which should come out, I don't know, sometime in 2023. Mm. <laughs> Some 15 years after it was shot. And um, also the, uh, a first look, a first trailer for um, one of the most hotly anticipated movies of all time. And you could just sense that once it hits social media and that's space jam colon a new legacy is it colon or a dash i don't even know i don't remember seeing any punctuation in the actual logo for it which okay. it, it is a better logo than the original i suppose i was looking at the old logo and i'm like wow they just have the whole circle planet just running into every letter that's fine but yeah, this, yeah. uh i think there's a colon because it's got to be a colon if you're going to do a, a spin-off reboot reimagining i spin don't up, yeah a, a huge problem already like a the reaction has not been good um, to be <laughs> what did they expect <laughs> you're making a space jam sequel what ma- did they expect <laughs> you're making a space jam sequel where there's no space component instead lebron games gets sucked into like a, a server no it's ready player one all over again i don't That's, understand yes, what are they doing well okay here's here's the thing here's what they're doing they are operating their business like they have no idea what they are doing and don't want to get fired. So they're like, well, what do we do? Um, well, let's just imitate movies because nobody knows what goes into a successful movie unless there is like a 
sure sure thing like say a name brand like space jam Mm -hmm. or like what the marvel movies was leading up to like you know everybody was looking forward to yeah lots of different properties converging yeah yes so they think hey why don't we just combine those two things we'll make it space jam (laughs) profit off that one name and then b also to combine everything together in the warner library um including as as one screenshot revealed um the 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 gang of droogs from the clockwork orange um which i felt i felt hugely appropriate for a a bold new direction for the space jam series i think the weirdest addition is baby jane (laughs) baby jane (laughs) i didn't notice that (laughs) yes someone tweeted baby jane makes an appearance Next wait, to Don wait. Cheadle. <laughs> well, Don Cheadle plays the villain. I mean, who knows if he'll live up to the legacy, the old I legacy mean, is he, of Dave Is he Vito. really a villain or some kind of trickster god? He's trying to teach him a lesson. <laughs> I, I think of him I as some know. kind of, like, genie. He's like, ah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's that's the whole impetus behind the story is, like, obviously people being put in the position. It's like if you and I were, say, put... Um, suddenly elevated to being CEO of an airline. And and now we John, you have to come up with new routes and new a new strategy. <laughs> hmm. I mean, how how do you think you would govern an airline? Would you would you take a bold new vision? Would you take chances? Or would you, you know, be scared and just go with what works? Like what? You know what I would do? I would invest in a lot in the hollow earth theory. And I would put all my money into grab ships that look like they came out of Tron. That's what I yeah. would do. That's 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 the kind of bold thinking this world needs right now. That's what Elon Musk is doing. That's what I would do. Okay. That's yeah. as a tech well, billionaire. In this vision, I'm a tech billionaire who's beloved by millions. So, okay, all right, yeah, fair enough. Well, you're you're jumping ahead. We'll we'll talk about the the anti gravity ships, the heaves, um, <laughs> as I as I saw them being sold in Target. Um, <laughs> We'll talk about the heaves later. <laughs> Got to push that merch. Got to get them toys. Yeah. <laughs> but here's another thing, particularly the trailers that I look at. Um, I follow Variety and Deadline and all the trade newspapers, and I keep seeing headlines, oh, this is now the biggest and most watched trailer ever or something. Yeah. And it's clear that trailers aren't just advertisements for movies. They're also like data points in which stock options and things are built. So the reason you see those headlines is because like people think, oh, this is going to be a big movie. This is going to open, you know, X amount of dollars and then, you know, a stock can go up or more investment can go into uh, Disney once, say, Black Widow finally comes out on July 9th. <laughs> or, yeah. So, th- I mean, that's that's kind of the purpose. Um, trailers are serving today. However, I don't know how... <laughs> how it goes when a studio so uh, brazenly screws up like they did <laughs> with the Space Jam and colon a new Legacy trailer. Um, well, I think that you're missing another important factor about trailers. Trailers are also early test screenings when you think about it. That too. Because, yeah. and we only really notice them when they go disastrously wrong. And I don't think the Space Jam trailer, even though the reactions have been kind of negative, remember, we have had far worse reactions. Last year we experienced Sonic the Hedgehog and Cats, (laughs) and just the pure vitriol, the the pure madness that those two trailers invoked. So Mm -hmm. I don't think the Space Jam trailer 
reaches those kind of heights. No, fair, fair enough. But, you're right. You're right. Yes. Um, but if I, but if I, this is a good opportunity for them to realize, uh, okay, maybe we need to wheel things back a little bit. Maybe we need to rethink things. <laughs> Obviously, the best move would just be scrap the whole thing and call it done, just not have done it in the first place. But obviously, that's not an option now at this point. I mean, heavy, no. heavy lays the crown, you know, hindsight's 2020. <laughs> exactly, which is why you shouldn't put inexperienced people in the head of a studio. You should put smart people like us, because we know what we're mm. talking about. Yeah, mm. we uh, we wouldn't greenlight uh, Space Jam colon A New Legacy. And uh, we're 90s kids. You'd think that we'd totally be game for that, but we're exactly. not. We're, we're too smart for that. That's the yeah. thing. We're not blinded by nostalgia. Yeah, well... I believe, look forward to a new episode where you and I will watch Space Jam for the first time in, what, 20 years? <laughs> because you and I, I remember, rented it multiple times out of movies mm-hmm. on video in Melrose, Massachusetts. So, yeah. But also, here's the, here's the thing that really bugs me. about yeah. the, like Again, we were Looney Tunes kids. We loved the Looney Tunes. We used to have like this massive two-set VHS thing of like 50 years of Warner Brothers. And you know, even I don't even know if it had the little disclaimer. It's like, hey, this one's racist. <laughs> or if they didn't even include those. <laughs> no, they didn't. But, <laughs> but we were like, we were big into Looney Tunes. And like, so that's yeah. the reason why we connected Space Jam. It's not because we love basketball. It's not because we loved Bill Murray. I mean, obviously, Wayne Knight's in it, too. Like, you know, you need, you need, like, and that's the other reason why Space Jam and New Legacy can't help but disappoint. You know, you need a, you need a legendary, you know, comedic uh, uh, repartee that only, like, a veteran like Bill Murray or Wayne Knight can, and can bring to the table, unfortunately. So, yeah. Instead, was... they're wasting their time with more Iron Giant shit. Like, yeah. Uh... <laughs> it, exactly. It, um, it was lightning in a bottle that first Space Jam because they also somehow integrated. I yes, you and I liked Looney Tunes as kids, but also John, there was um, there was a little athlete you may remember. His name was Michael Jordan, and he kind of transcended like not just you didn't have to be a basketball fan to love and admire Michael Jordan, and the fact that the way the story integrated his um, retirement from basketball and and starting a career in baseball and then returning with number 45, like all that stuff, like, you know, like it felt like not just lightning in a bottle, but also a piece of history somehow that the movie was able to integrate. And instead we're, we're looking at LeBron James who granted like, that, that's what I can't the understand. Close, like the closest we've had to a Michael Jordan figure in the NBA, I would say. Well, yeah. In the NBA, um, he's, he's a little bit more, he's got more, political bravery to him like he's outspoken Mm. about things like black lives matter um i'm not sure he's he's transcended like that like he's been in commercials or whatever but nobody remembers those commercials where he played grandpa and like the little kid and all that stuff like you know oh those little claymation ones from sprite will haunt my memories forever but (laughs) that's just me (laughs) can't speak for everyone but yeah well, we don't live in a monoculture anymore, so maybe his like influence isn't far and wide like Michael Jordan's was. Um, maybe it is. I, d- I don't know. I'm gonna have to check the Q score. I'm gonna have to look at our our PR uh, agencies and <laughs> look that up. But yeah, it, so like you're already you're already off on the wrong foot because LeBron James isn't the pop culture figure that Michael Jordan was 25 years ago, and you're sticking him in a server farm to rescue his kid. Um, <laughs> Who I don't know if that's his real kid. Who's the actor? No, or it's not. not. Yeah. It's, it's not. not. Already, okay. Yeah, I've already read. I, even before the trailer came out, they were like explaining what the trailer was going to be, what the plot was, and they were like, they listed obviously the actor's name after his son. And yeah. it's not his last name is not James. So, <laughs> I think they also name drop Maverick Carter in um in the trailer, which is which is baffling. Um, <laughs> who's Maverick Carter? 
That's his like that's like the lead guy in his entourage or his like manager or something. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> people know people from LeBron James's entourage? Yeah, I guess so. John, there's a whole economy of like NBA drama. <laughs> well, of course we have basketball wives. <laughs> yeah, which are centered around wives of basketball players. <laughs> Presumably. I I don't know. I've never watched the show. But getting back to my original point, which is what mm-hmm. I wanted to say, is that yes, you shouldn't trust us. We know movies. We wouldn't take um a, I don't know, a concept as simple as say Godzilla versus Kong and add um Stargate and Hollow Earth and, and sci fi vehicles or whatever. It doesn't need that. Um mm-hmm. same with um we don't need a new space jam. We don't need uh, a remake of Dune, which I know is gonna be a failure, just as um Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Excuse me, when you got Dennis Vinivluv aboard <laughs> Nothing, there's nothing that can go wrong, okay? But we would we would take uh, bold leaps with original visions. We would invest in directors and artists, John. Mm. Um, we would be a, an artist-centered studio, a writer-centered studio, perhaps. <laughs> um, and, you know, we may take a swing as big as uh, the one that Wong Kar-wai took um, <laughs> when he was in between movies. <laughs> Perfect segue. Brilliant. Exactly. It's that A-plus stuff. Again, I'm putting a presentation together. I've got my deck ready, and it's these A plus segues that are really going to convince people to put us to make us the president of Warner Media. So, there you go. Yeah. At, at least a Miramax level studio. Like everything worked out great for Miramax. So. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> which which was the distributor of this film we're talking about this week? Hey, yes. This week we're revisiting Wong Kar Wai's 1994 film Chungking Express. <laughs> classic um maybe a lot of i guess this isn't a household name uh, well okay off the bat i have to say i'm very disappointed because when you hear the word chungking express what comes to your mind trains i want to see trains (laughs) and you know biden just released his infrastructure plan (laughs) we've been waiting for infrastructure week for four years and i want to see the choo-choos go woo-woos okay and there's not a single train in this movie maybe there is i don't know but it's it's a lot more planes than anything (laughs) it takes place by the airport okay it's a it's a broad it's the movie is set in hong kong and there is no titular Chungking Express. Instead, it's a, a combination of two locations in the movie, the Chungking Maison, like, hostel, and um, Midnight Express uh, snack bar, or, you know, like, and 24 sadly, hour. they can call it Midnight Express, because there's another movie called that. Yes. <laughs> Which is, yeah. Which grapples with a, mo- a lot of the same themes when you think about it. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. Uh, drugs, crime. Longing. Um, romance. <laughs> sadness. Yeah. <laughs> So as I said, this is this is a pretty, I guess, a, a bold leap, and I'm surprised it like caught um, movie lovers' imaginations back in 1994. Um, 
because it's it's, it's a modern movie. It's it may it feels like set in that time mm-hmm. because of the quick cuts and how much energy is behind it. A lot of canted angles, a lot of like not not slow motion, but they slow down the film and it's all blurred when like characters yeah. are running through the the streets and the little like malls in this section of Hong Kong and. Well, so I was a- gonna say my one of my thoughts when I was watching this movie, one of my notes was like, "Man, Safi Brothers ain't shit," because this is how you do handheld work, man. <laughs> this mo- like this movie's all handheld, which again, like, imp- like brings up that anxiety when things are moving quick, but also like captures that intimacy because this is very much a character study. You know, this isn't high drama. This is more about you know two people and how they intersect. Well, technically four people, but we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. It 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 gets a little complicated halfway through the movie because we should shift gears but then the characters aren't terribly dissimilar from each other and this isn't a comment to say asian people look alike but i no, got a little confused <laughs> well no our also our impetus is because this is a very human story um about our our uh, asian sisters and brothers and mm-hmm. originally you wanted to bring it up because we are in the midst of this um uh th- let's call it um hopefully a temporary like um uh up uprising of um anti anti-asian american violence and content in the united states and uh, i don't know as little as we can do (laughs) like we want to do our part and and look at like kind of a a human story about that experience and so um that's why we that's why we chose this movie in addition to it being like a a cult classic and and a, a a big um point of admiration for a lot of film lovers but yeah it tells uh two kind of two stories in two i think very different ways because it from that opening moments it is like a huge chase and it's telling this like hard-boiled crime story about a a detective who's dressed like um who's dressed like right out of a a john woo film and it's like his long trench coat and his like ill-fitting shirt and tie um and then a a woman who's like a a drug dealer who's working with the these indian expats to like you know tra- traffic all the, all these drugs and has a complicated plan between passports and we see how hectic her life is as well mm. and um and it's not until like a while that their stories intersect that we kind of see like okay what we're actually like dealing with here which is themes of like uh forlornness and isolation in this big city like you know lamenting not being able to find love and the stresses of modern life and and so it that those are the kind of the themes we're dealing with um throughout the movie but it's it's dealt in two very different ways one like a a kind of unexpected hard-boiled romance between like a a woman who's a drug dealer and a guy who's a cop just trying to do his best (laughs) and then we transition to like oh it's just a romantic comedy hey here's dreams on the soundtrack Um, yeah exactly (laughs) and i hope you're not sick of california dreaming because i sure as hell was (laughs) god yes uh it's before we get to our overall opinions, I will say um, we hope you like the Mamas and the Papas because you're going to be hearing uh, California Dreaming a lot. Um, tangent, <laughs> I, in my contrarian opinion, California Dreaming is a terrible song, and wow. I hated the fact that they, yes, it's it's in this terrible minor key, and it's so dreary. Like, but that's what made the Mamas the and the Papas are... so great. They made these cheery songs in a minor key, so they kind of, like, you know, feel a bit off. And, no, you know, I like, didn't, no, I don't no, want that dissonance. On. Yeah. Oh, how dare you? Okay. <laughs> She died on the toilet for you. <laughs> I know we love Mama Cats. I I love the Mamas and the Papas, but California Dreaming is not is not a good song. I'm sorry. Mm. Be forewarned. You're going to hear it a lot in this movie. Um, yep. 
between our two tales. But John, give me your overall impression. Like, what did you think of its like bifurcated structure and the two, the very distinct ways that it takes two <laughs> stories and kind of like um, smashes them together? Uh, See, that's and that's my ultimate problem with the movie is because I was so invested in the first half that mm-hmm. the second half left me so cold <laughs> because. <laughs> The first half, like, there's an interesting study in contrasts. You know, you have this, like, lovelorn cop. You, you're like, you're right. He's, like, dressed out like a detective out of a noir story. And we hear his inner monologue, and he's just so sad. He's like, oh, my baby, she left me. Oh, women, they just don't understand me. And juxtapose him with this woman who's always wearing a trench coat and sunglasses. She's mm. guarded. She's cold. You do not know what she's She's a pragmatist. Feeling. She's a pragmatist. Yes. She's not She's not messing with anybody. Or... Exactly. And put them together and then spire, fireworks spark. Like, you know, that, that stuff is great. And then we get to the second half where we get uh, maybe the genesis of the Manny Picks dream girl. Like the woman who's just yes. totally devoted to making her man happy, you know. <laughs> This, like, (laughs) depressed sad sack who has, you know, everything going for him, but he just can't seem to realize it. And the girl who will stop at nothing, even breaking the law, like, stalkerish behavior. Mm -hmm. And I just, um... (laughs) yeah, I just didn't get it. And I was like, why didn't we just keep the first story? Like, the first story was so great. Why is the second story so flat? Like, that's that was my initial reactions to it. Yeah, I I think the problem is, like, A, like, top flight, kind of direction from Wong Kar Wai and his uh, cinematographer. We didn't mention him when we talked about um, a movie of his in the past. We talked about In the Mood for Love, which I think is now considered like his his masterpiece or like the one the one that he's going to be best known for or best remembered for. But this, this one's a close second because of masterful camera work and editing. And you're right, the way in which it opens in which we see like the contrast between these two characters, like not just his his um, lamenting in voiceover and how like um, how poetic I, I say, like kind of poetic, but also like, you know, kind of silly. He's a young guy. He's only like 25 and he's like doing broetry or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly, yeah. I'm going to find the can that has the expiration date, you know, yeah. as if our love had expired, you know, is our love like food? Does it go bad? Does yeah. It go like, wrong? oh man, does everything expire? Why can't I love you for 10,000 years? Yeah. <laughs> also, um, after eating all that pineapple, his cum must have been delicious. <laughs> God. I was I was just gonna point out like a, a how he's got to have a stomach made of steel if he can have like thirty cans of pineapple and as we see later he goes to a bar and has like fifteen shot glass empty shot glasses arrayed in front of him and I'm like God hey, this well, guy we do see him throw up in a urinal yeah so. okay fair enough but yeah he's it's still you still have to have an iron stomach to do all that but I don't know again he went for the easy come joke as always <laughs> naturally yeah.我是早上六點多出生的還有兩分鐘我就二十五歲了換句話來講我已經在這個世界上經歷了四分之一的世紀在這麼有歷史性的時候我去了跑步我很成功的將我身體裡面多餘的水分蒸發掉我覺得很開
but it's a naturally kind of like slow story like but he makes it interesting like a with the quick cuts like finding like the the little thing that flips over to signify like hey we're at a new day we're approaching his birthday may 1st and um and i like the contrast between like how forlorn he is and we do get some narration from the woman that he's that he meets and becomes interested in Hmm. but again she's very pragmatic um like a lot of handheld a lot of like long takes where we see her like moving from one room like okay like you know do like make sure this part of the plan here like where i get your name or like where i get your measurements for a suit or like and then moving to the next room like make sure you put the drugs here like that's all great and um and yeah it seems like the that story was really going somewhere i think i think the only the problem is that we get nothing from the actress because as you said she's always wearing her sunglasses like we don't get to see her grow or change much um and then god god bless the actor um who plays that detective his name is um Takeshi Kaneshiro and um I, I don't know he's he's asked to do a lot in terms of like phone calls and stuff like that and it's it's a little exaggerated it's a little hyperbolic like yeah he's not he's not the actor that Tony Lunn is who we'll see later um those are the yeah, only, like, Tony Lunn plays it a lot you know closer to the chest which is yeah. kind of important for the story because like again these these two losers these two cops they're meant to be kind of like forlorn but whereas the first one kind of like we hear all this voiceover he's expressing himself and like oh how sad he is the second one kind of he's a little bit more he's 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 sappy but he's not as sad it's not as depressive it's like oh my towel's dry again Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything in my apartment feels like it's crying just like me (laughs) that's a little more whimsical the second the second cop yeah well, and I really, you're right. I was really invested in the first half because, yeah, there's this huge complication. She loses this, her her group of um, group of illegal immigrants who are like transporting these drugs, and she's screwed. Like she mm-hmm. she gets all these signs that she's about to um, expire or something, or have these drug dealers come after her. She meets this guy, and they have like a, like a good rapport. Um, and then the story terminates when she plugs her 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 cohort, this white bartender, this cracker working at the bar. She plugs mm-hmm. him with her th- with her thirty eight special. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. And I was like, I and you know, your first time watching this, you're like, damn, I can't wait to see where the story goes next. And then yeah, unfortunately, we're whisked away with, as you said, I don't want to sound like TV tropes, but it is literally like a manic pixie a manic pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. Um, this young woman, she is played by. Fei Wong. Uh, she now works at Midnight Express, like this all night, um, like not a burger stand or something like that. But um, well, they serve also, everything. <laughs> and what was what was giving me anxiety was he serves everything the same way. He's like, I'll get a salad and a hot dog, and then he just gives him two rolls of tin foil like a burrito. And I'm like, wait, how did you wrap up a salad like a burrito? I I think that was a localization issue. Like we're watching subtitles, and they're like, oh, okay. nobody's gonna know what the Guanching is or something like that. Like, okay. and we don't actually see the food. So like, I don't. Let's say it's fish and chips. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the reason for that, but um. all right. <laughs> but yeah, she's she's very like she's very kooky. So she's, she's got a kooky. short haircut. I, yeah. I hesitate to say like neuroatypical, but she's yeah, she's very kooky because like at first when we see her, she's just constantly cleaning, and mm-hmm. she's always in the periphery and kind of like getting in people's ways, and you know, it's like it's showing that she's kind of slowly encroaching in his life and his business. And you know, he also the second cop also suffers from a breakup. He kind of has a fling with an air hostess, um, who eventually leaves him, and you know, she she passes him a note with the keys, and <laughs> you know, this the the manager of the Midnight Express has no boundaries whatsoever. No, I'm glad you're <laughs> invested in this guy's love life, but. 
come on, you can't be going through his mail like that. No. <laughs> and then showing it to your kitchen staff as well. Everybody gets a, a look at it. Like, And that's that's good. Like, that stuff's funny when, like, we're not privy, as an audience, we're not privy to what's actually in the letter, but we do see characters' reactions to it. And the, and the boss of Midnight Express is like, mm, dang. And then we see the kitchen staff are like, oh, damn. Like, you know, harsh. And then finally Faye gets her hands on it and... You know, we get no reaction, but she's the one that, like, drops the keys from the envelope into her hand. Like, you know, mm-hmm. literally confirming that, yes, this is a breakup. This is a Dear John letter. Um, th- but, yeah, here it goes into, like, a, a really quirky... Di- not just because she's kooky and playing California Dream in an absurd volume where she can't even talk to the customers. Um, she also takes those keys and then starts to rearrange his life in some ways, in ways that he doesn't even notice. Like, she is... She's not just cleaning his apartment... She's also like rearranging furniture and replacing his bed sheets and stuff like that, and his replacing towels his like soap. Like he was yeah. like joking that his soap was like skinny, and then all of a sudden it's fat, and he's like, "You put on weight." Like his yeah. his weird kind of relationship with objects is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, yeah. But it it kind of hits this absurd degree. Like he would notice that something's different in his house, right? <laughs> <laughs> and like at one point it. It's as if he knows that she's hiding, and they have this like little playful like hide and seek game, and he like and seems fine with it, but then it becomes immediately obvious she still he still thinks it's his old flight attendant girlfriend that he was seeing, mm-hmm. and so like I I did I didn't get that, and yeah I wish it just stuck it's it stuck it stuck closer to like where your where your greatest asset is, and that's Tony Lund as an actor like playing close to the chest like. Unlike the detective we saw earlier, who's all bedraggled and like you know running like a maniac when he wants to go for a jog because yeah. if he sweats, you know, <laughs> I bet I can't cry anymore. anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, Tony Lung, by contrast, is a uniformed officer, not a hair out of place. Like you know, doesn't doesn't display anything, even when his his girlfriend, his long term girlfriend, has broken up with him. Mm. Um, like if we stayed like closer to that, then maybe I would have appreciated more. But instead, we're following Faye Wong's character as she does these kooky things with a fish, and you know breaks and enters and and again forgets like to pay the electricity bill <laughs> and you're like it's it's really straining credulity and it's like like what what am i watching here? yeah and like, why you know? like why does anyone trust this woman like you know like mm-hmm. you have to there's a certain amount of logic that the audit you have to build the audience to kind of expect and kind of go along with so the fact that anyone would put up with this woman's behavior it just strains credulity way too much because yeah. <laughs> she's just she's too aloof she's too weird and it's just it's too much unfortunately so yeah stuff and 
let's be honest, we're looking at a Wong Kar Wai film, and that's kind of immaterial. Yeah, right. Like what what this movie was a little bit imp- this may shock you to learn, John. This movie didn't have a finished script when they started shooting. No, I know. It's, <laughs> yeah. I know. Hard to tell um, when you look at the finished. When product, I first but... opened it, I was expecting like Christopher Nolan, just a particular, a peculiar little puzzle <laughs> yeah. box. Like, oh, yeah. everything's gonna fit into place at the, by the end. <laughs> I just know it. <laughs> so yeah, we have our disappointments with the story, and I'm a little bit more forgiving, like because because the direction is still like good. Like he's got this good sense of montage when, like as I said earlier, like one of these cleaning montages where she. Again, breaks breaks and enters his apartment. Uh, breaks the law. Um, is set to a, a cover of uh, the Cranberries' dreams, and yeah, it does feel like you know, it it does it does like kind of lift you off your feet and what the the sequence is trying to do. So, in spite of like the the story not hitting us in those logical centers, like it is it is still achieving like this this kind of emotional catharsis or, or whimsy. Um, which is what he's going for. So, like, kudos to that. Um, the problem is it just doesn't literally come together as a cohesive whole. Like, he only had 30 minutes of this, like, what could have been a really compelling story of a romance between, like, a, a drug dealer and a cop. But instead it becomes this, as he said, like, a, a, a manic pixie dream girl has to pull this sad sack out of his out of his uh, torpor and, yeah. you know... And I mean, it kind of comes to a sweet conclusion. He ends up buying the Midnight Express, and she ends up becoming an air hostess, and they kind of like plan a little trip together. And it kind of leaves a little ambiguous, at least a little bit more kind of ambiguous and upbeat than the first story did. So I kind of appreciate that. But um, yeah, it wasn't enough to salvage that second half, unfortunately. Because yeah, the, the first half is really winning, and the second half is just really disappointing. Yeah. It's uh, what's what's Charlie Sheen's opposite of winning? Um, <laughs> wow! It doesn't have t- it doesn't Welcome. have tiger blood. It has tiger cum. Welcome instead. to 2016. Gosh! <laughs> oh God, John, we're talking like 2011. Is that when that happened? <laughs> That's it. Yes. Again, time is a flat circle for me. I just. <laughs> Did you hear they're gonna put Kong and Godzilla in the same movie? It's crazy. So, whoa! <laughs> Madness. John, before we get that, let's let's conclude this discussion of a of a small story, a, s- a small conflict set in, like like Godzilla versus Kong. It's a small story set in in mm-hmm. Hong Kong, um, and so yeah, it, th- there's a lot to admire about the movie, but it just doesn't come together as a cohesive whole. I, I don't like to parrot what movie critics say, but um, kind of Roger Ebert, I think put it well when it's like um you admire it for maybe the craft of a film maybe not for like its reflection of life or something yeah. like that or like the the ways in which it comes together as a story to give you like this emotional catharsis because there are bits that kind of that almost do but then yeah, well it's it like doesn't. and again it's like like when you look at a scorsese film it's like is it his best no but it obviously shows that he's just a master of the craft and i think this is just a reminder that mm-hmm. Wong Kar wai is a brilliant director if that isn't technically his best i still think that's in the mood for love granted those are the only two i've seen so maybe i'll be <laughs> pleasantly surprised by happy together who knows but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I think you'll like uh, Happy Together. I would like to see like one of his, let's call them more conventional movies, because he f- he shot this on a break from, um, well, oh shoot, what was the movie called? Um, Ashes of Time, which is a, a Wuxia martial arts movie. Mm. Like so, so like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It has people. It's set in the yeah. past and people like Feudal flying feeling, all over the place. Yeah. 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 
and you could probably only get like I don't know like three shots in a day <laughs> because of the amount of like choreography mm-hmm. and lighting and stuff that has and costume. But that's, that's going but that's what makes things. Hong Kong film so so special. That's what Jackie Chan always said yeah. about like why he loved because you know they would give him all the budget and all the time in the world to get you know the absolute perfect shot <laughs> as opposed to Hollywood where it's like he yeah. got three weeks, <laughs> give it to his kid, <laughs> or you're fired. <laughs> yeah. Versus like I. With my taste, I'm more on the side of this, something like Chungking Express, mm-hmm. like kind of like shot fast and cheap at the set at the, you know, a small story, relatable with life, you know, not taking flights of fancy. Not that not that flights of fancy aren't mm-hmm. fun, which I think naturally brings us to um, what I think the people are really here for. Well, John. yeah, because it's, it's a movie you, with a lot of parallels. I know you don't want to talk. And, you know, they're, they're almost yeah. like these two st- movies kind of rhyme when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you don't want to talk about big movies every week but come on we got to this is this is a, this is a movie event this is a proper event um while we're still living under this uh, hellish <laughs> pandemic conditions so yes cuz now it's time let them fight it is kong versus oh sorry fuck i fucked it up it's godzilla versus kong on my own here we go oh i thought you thing with spotlight oh right oh i completely forgot yeah oh spotlight guys spotlight 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 i'm by winning i win here and i win there now what so this is the section of the show where where we reserve um for either catching up on a recent release or recommending something that's um tied to the movie we just watched um again we have the common we we have we satisfy both of those criteria today mm-hmm. we have uh, a common setting in hong kong and this is a major release it's made it made more money i think in its opening weekend than it's the previous um movie in the monsterverse uh godzilla king of the monsters and that wasn't under pandemic conditions so. <laughs> wait how is that you're talking you're considering all international right no, well, no, not all. Maybe not okay. all international. I was thinking domestically. Like domestically, Godzilla: King of the Monsters flopped and bad. Really? Um, which is I thought it still yeah, won the which weekend. Is why? No? Okay. Oh well, it, it probably won the weekend, but they were expecting like Avengers numbers, like all these studios are, because they're all idiots or whatever, and that's what they're. This is why we man. need all our. Like, this is why we need every WB property in one movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Anyway, yes, but now yeah. we we finally after th- three movies, like what a cinematic universe, guys! <laughs> it's three yes. movies, three movies, and and seven yes. years. Yeah, <laughs> finally we bring Kong and and Godzilla together. <laughs> um, and I and, and what a and what an event it was. <laughs> okay, here's here's ultimately I find the problem with this cinematic universe is that they they fretted yeah. between two polar opposites, whereas like and they never quite kind of learn to mesh the two and never like like marvel had some growing pains as well but they eventually like fleshed it out and figured out all the little kind of things you need to hit the problem with the original godzilla movie or these new godzilla movies is that they're a little too heavy they're a little too kind of like leaning into like the disaster movie like you know eye level like ah what's happening to us and then you have kong skull island which is just pure b-grade schlock just like (laughs) like lay on the fretboard and just you know go nuts and so this movie I compared I compared it unfavorably to a theme yes. park ride, and this movie right leans more towards because again, it's called Godzilla vs Kong, but it's really a Kong movie, and it feels more like a sequel yeah. to Kong Skull Island. He's the one who gets more screen time. He's the one who actually kind of goes on an adventure, as opposed to Godzilla, who again is just this kind of like force of nature. And again, it yeah. tone wise, it feels like it's leaning on the fretboard, like you know. What I mean? <laughs> Heavy metal, I don't know. 
as they fly through they well, fly yeah, through the air in yeah. spaceships. <laughs> yeah. That's the tone problem not just they had in the series, I think with like monster movies in mm. general. Cause you and I enjoyed monster movies and like say a show like Power Rangers back when we were kids because it is ridiculous. Like we see like people in suits like stomping on yes. cardboard tanks and houses and stuff or like, you know, going through and like tough it's it's almost cartoony. But like again, this is huge tentpole entertainment. You can't do that, otherwise you'll get laughed out of like theaters or something. Or you won't back make back your like eight hundred million dollar investment or so so you've got this contradiction, like do we make it childish mm-hmm. and silly um to appeal to kids who don't have their kid their parents' wallets <laughs> or do we make it yeah, super so the serious, adults like, don't feel like, you know, uh, uh, uh not uh, obligated, what's the what's the word like, ostracized by the material. Yeah, ostracized or like or yeah. childish or whatever, like you know. So that's the huge contradiction, and I think this th- this movie sort of threads that needle, um, sort of because the fights. I I will parrot every other critic here. The fights are awesome. <laughs> the moments where Kong does fight Godzilla. Yeah, like, yeah, work. they work for the whatever. Be- how whatever percentage they of the work movie. They the best, is. but again, going back to like what you said about like part of the fun was there was physicality to watching a man in the suit crush a cardboard yeah. box. Whereas, like, here, because everything is ones and zeros, everything just feels so weightless. So, like, and, yes, you know... that so, is true. It didn't help that we both watched this on a TV screen. Yeah, maybe, yeah. yes. But it's, like, what I liked about the Gareth Edwards ones, the original, like, again, everything is eye-level, everything feels mm-hmm. heavy. Maybe a little too much, maybe a little too oppressive at times, absolutely. But it's, like, here, it's, like... It's like the idea is like snorri cams are connected to like their arms. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> so the camera is like track. No. And then it's doing flips. And I know it's all computer generated. So it's not like, it's not like the raid. Okay. It's not like they had to like pass, you know, a camera to, from one car to the other. That's cool. Yeah. Here it's just kind of like, even though, yes, it is fun to watch them fight. And it is kind of exciting for them to use the environments very creatively. Again, it still felt too weightless to mm-hmm. me. It still felt kind of like there was no stakes. Yeah. Okay. So. Fair enough. Um, what, what doesn't help is also like <laughs> the, the same problems that, the, that all these movies had and that the, the human characters kind of suck. Like <laughs> they're, they're no good. And, but I was thinking of the, like, you can't do what Jaws do. You can't just have like, you know, like good, strong core of characters and then a monster kind of comes in. Like, because this is more of a special effects or extravaganza. This isn't a small horror movie that nobody expected to, you know, make $100 million at the box office. Like, so even though like the original Godzilla movie was aspiring to be like Jaws and this movie has like a a mother daughter connection and you got actresses as wonderful as Rebecca Hall, like I would, I would watch um rebecca hall read like tax legislation like that's how much i love her (laughs) and um but even like she can't like bring together this ridiculous plot um like as you said let's compare this to like say the original godzilla movie which as you said like it tries to keep it grounded like in a human perspective there's only like 10 minutes of kong like action in it and it's all like Mm -hmm. done realistically with real dust particles and things like that like here we're in the completely opposite direction now the earth is hollow um we need gravitron (laughs) ships called heaves um to fly us down to the center of the earth the evil cabal of like technocrats look like they're living in tron (laughs) like the production design is absolutely outrageous (laughs) and the problem is like the actors don't really like live up to that like if you're going to do that like make it super ridiculous but the only one that's really oh they're all like 
even King of the Monsters, they're all so overqualified. Yeah, that too. It's just like... <laughs> like, the only one who kind of does that, who lives up to it, is um, Brian Tyree as the as the mm-hmm. Alex Jones esque like conspiracy pod uh, podcaster who's um, who's uh, uh, infiltrating the secret base and he's and he's a motor mouth and he's always like putting people off like a like they you could have done that better like like immediately the first thing we do like he puts his coworker at unease um, yeah <laughs> which like no like I I've gone through like corporate training like nobody would actually like say like oh he's just a regular worker who I'm happy to like be next to. <laughs> But I mean, that's. But isn't that also kind of the problem? Like, you need that comic relief character, but yeah. you can only really have one, or else, like, you know, because the other thing too is they bring in the uh, New Zealand kid. I don't uh, know Julian Dennison. I think is his name. The kid from the hunt He'll for the wilder people. Yeah, <laughs> he'll always be New Zealand kid to me. <laughs> they bring in New Zealand, and so he's he's a comedic actor. Yeah, and so he knows, but he, he's kind of like toned it back because again, he has to compete with you know Paperboy. He's always Paperboy to me <laughs> yeah. from Atlanta, but. <laughs> Um, like, you know, like, so they can't obviously go too over the top with it. And then the problem is that one, that kind of subplot, that human subplot is kind of the comedic one. And then the Kong related one is the one that's meant to be like serious. But again, like I said, they've set up the Kong ones to be like, bimber the wheel. Like, you know, oh, he's fighting dragons. (laughs) He's floating in space because gravity's fucked up here. (laughs) Like, you know, like the Kong stuff is supposed to be ridiculous. The Godzilla stuff's supposed to be grounded. But then they take the human subplots that are supposed to be you know the the kids who are the cheerleaders mm-hmm. which is also kind of stupid because we all know the one monster who's a friend a befriend to all children is gamera okay <laughs> <laughs> so anywho they invert those so like the comedic one is the godzilla subplot whereas the serious one is the gong one and i just it's just so much of a yeah. mess but it's fun it's fun so i can't deny that yeah it, it still comes out to a fun product but yeah i still don't know how you make a modern monster movie i think that's what that's what I'm trying to take away from this is like, like, yes, this is a fun product, but it's still like nowhere near like say the quality of a, of a Marvel or Christopher Nolan movie where, you know, you Mm. want to tell your friends to go see it or something like, you know, I'm sure that's what they're aspiring to, but it's not happening. And I'm trying to figure out why. Um, One, besides the fact that we're not eight years old. Yes. It's the fact that we're not eight years old anymore. They're not making movies like we're eight years old anymore. Instead, they're all serious. Mm. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you do with like the human characters because like, we we looked at the original Godzilla movie for this podcast, and even that one like still had this soap opera subplot about a love triangle and an, and a doctor with an eye patch and <laughs> like even that movie still had that like stuff. So like again like anybody who was lamenting like oh why isn't this like the original Godzilla is full of shit and you know can go yeah, can go a take point. a hike. <laughs> yeah. So I I kind of figured out what you need, and that is I think a a strong. Or at least like a singular point of view, because a monster movie I do like is, as you said, um, or, or at least a, a monster movie, Gamera, the original Gamera, <laughs> friend to all children, Gamera. <laughs> no, but you mentioned Shin Godzilla, which is hardly like a, a monster movie. Instead, it's all about bureaucracy. It's all about like how society would yeah. actually react to a giant monster attack, and like how silly and sometimes serious that is. Well, no, and I think the other problem is they don't like these monsters are meant to be metaphors for larger mm-hmm. things and they still don't lean into any one of them too far. Like Godzilla is a, you know, a, 
a metaphor for nuclear proliferation. Yeah. Kong is a metaphor for slavery. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's brought in chains from his native environment yeah. to America. It's colonialism <laughs> um, more broadly or something, yeah. Yes. Um, and again, like, none of those are addressed. They do, like, the like the last one, King of the Monsters, tries to, like, turn it into, like, a metaphor about climate change, but again, not too hard. Like, they never, they like, at least Shin Godzilla is like, we're committed to this. Yeah. <laughs> this is about what it's like living in modern Japan when things go wrong. Fukushima is only four years separated. Yeah. Like, that movie, like, makes it work. Whereas these movies, they, they're too scared. Because again, they're Hollywood. They're too scared to lean into any metaphor and make it too, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, politicized. Yeah. So, But I think the also, the, you're right about theme, and I'm thinking strictly point of view because I do like the monster movie Cloverfield. Like I do mm-hmm. like that movie, and it's because like, what if you were dropped in the middle? And yes, it's shaky cam and it's found footage, and you know, like, yeah, you may be sick of that kind of film format, but like, it it added like this little fun twist of like, how the heck do we actually like survive being thrown? And like, yeah. it feels natural the way we encounter the monster, or say it's little minions. No, or, and it's eye level yeah. too. It's eye level, and it feels real, and it's intimate, yeah. as opposed to this movie, which is, again, snoring cam, snoring cam attached to Kong's face. Like, That's great. I will not have you besmirch that, good sir. <laughs> okay, actually, no. The mo- the moment it really came alive for me was when, spoiler alert, Mechagodzilla appears. <laughs> because he like he's great contrast because he's almost like an animatronic. He's like he's a gigantic very, he Chuck E. Cheese doll. And he's like, I'm going to destroy you. And it's great. Like, that is the level of cheese I wanted to see. Not the anti-gravity ships. I want to see giant robot lizard. See, but I didn't believe it because he is so stiff. He's like, um, he's like RoboCop, but in RoboCop 3. Like, where you can't, he can't even run. Like, he's, he needs some oil in his joints or something. Or, like, maybe he's like the, the T-Rex out of, um, Transformers: Age of Extinction, um, which I think was also set in Hong Kong. But anyway, um, well, they know where their market is. Yes. Crack. <laughs> They've done the research, obviously. <laughs> but it's, it, I don't know. It, it wasn't the right level because che- it didn't feel like that formidable. Like, uh, yes, I knew they were going to have to have like come to some like common enemy or something and and mm-hmm. reconcile that way. Because obviously, it's not going it's not going to end with Godzilla killing Kong or Kong killing Godzilla. Let's be real here. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I I don't understand why they kept it so close to the chest. Like why they typically kept... Yeah, cuz t- like no, cuz it was like it was leaked. Yeah. Like way beforehand, even before the first trailer came out that Mechagodzilla was going to make an appearance. But they didn't like lean into that with the marketing, as opposed to like King of the Monsters. Part of that was like, it's all a monster fight. We've got Mothra. We've got Rotan. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> I I don't know. I know it was teased in the last trailer. I think it was Maybe that's where they feel like they screwed up in their marketing and why Godzilla King of the Monsters didn't do well financially because they did give it all away, including that that's final true, fight, yeah. which is just nothing but red lightning you know, going everywhere. And... Uh, yellow lightning, Greg Kudira is uh, represented by yellow. That is his color-coded system. Thank you very much. Whatever. It's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. This one is at least more fun. Um, like, I didn't hate it. Like, I did um, Kong Skull Island. Like, uh, it didn't feel like a waste of time. And so, I, I don't know, points for that. But still, this is this is barely a movie. This is barely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's schlock. Yeah. It's pure schlock. And again, like, I wish, like, they could have threaded that needle. Like, make it, make it you know, have it have weight, have it have gravity, but also make it fun. And you just can't do those, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like, what do we want out of these monster movies? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Make me feel like I'm eight years old anymore. Well, you failed. <laughs> yes. 
Well, here's here's the thing. Here's here's how I think we thread the needle, John. Okay. It's bringing together theme and maybe point of view. So mm-hmm. the movie opens. We're tracking King Kong on Skull Island, or at least what he thinks is Skull. Mm-hmm. Well, he doesn't think. He tries to break out of this simulation. Okay. I don't know what the point of that was either. I could <laughs> halfway through the movie, I forgot why they were trying to go to the center of the earth. I'm like, wait, why are we here? And I had to like really dig back in my brain, like, oh, they're trying to get the energy source from the anyway. <laughs> they're trying to get to Energon. Yeah, Greg. <laughs> But I, I think here's what you need to do, and this is really bold. Just ba- make King Kong the protagonist, i.e. not a spoken word of dialogue for like 30 stretches of like 30 minutes or plus. Mm. Make it like mm. Wally or There Will Be Blood. Like we're just following Kong yes. through his thing. No words or something like that. But we see like, you know, he's making maps or like, you know, seeing a hieroglyphic yeah. of like King or Godzilla and it's like he's seeing like this is who I got to take on or something. And we see mm-hmm. him plan. We see him like set out a goal. Like we see his daily routine and then how maybe like that's when Godzilla comes and F's it up and, and you know, he's got to get revenge. Like his home world's been, his, his home island has been ruined by Godzilla and this is the thing and so like yes it needs to be like wally it needs to be uh there will like there will be blood wordless well clear. like planet of the apes they got the same actor who plays koba yeah and who also plays uh, uh george from rampage <laughs> yeah. i believe is the monkey's <laughs> toby toby kyle like, that's who that's who yeah, you get if Tony you can't yeah, if you can't get um andy circus you get him to play your it's, ape yeah <laughs> hollywood's go-to monkey guy. yeah <laughs> i'm sorry great ape <laughs> yes <laughs> But yeah, you're right. They should have like leaned into it more like again like the Planet of the Apes. Again, like have it more gravity. Yeah. But then also, yeah, like have it feel earned when we get to the shocky bits. Yeah. Like, you know, it it like uh Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, again we get a lot of that wordless scene, we get a lot of that world building. So it feels like a payoff when, you know, dual wielding A K forty sevens while riding <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> riding a horse. <laughs> you know, that feels yeah. earned. Now I'm invested. Yes, that feels <laughs> yeah. earned. Okay, there you go. All right, we figured it out. See, again, why isn't Hollywood hired us yet? <laughs> I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Well John, I think I think it's because we haven't passed the test. Um we haven't like really um, proven our film bona fides by answering, say, um, important but also trivial questions. Um, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe we can devote um, I don't know a section of our show to that, like some kind of uh, I don't know what what do we call it? Oh, trivia what challenge? Would you call it? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think we would call it trivia challenge, bitch. Gosh, I really hope it's not slapped together or just thrown <laughs> together Shut at the last up. minute. <laughs> Actually, this one's perfect because okay. a theme of this one, it's related to a movie we just talked about, mm-hmm. but also it's related to how movies are marketed and how studios kind of plan when their final product doesn't turn out exactly as they hoped. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> because I am going to ask you trivia questions about the best Godzilla movie. That's right, the 1998 <laughs> Rolick Emmer version of Godzilla. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, a guilty pleasure of you and I, because again, we were like eight years old when it came out. And... Exactly. <laughs> and we were big fans of Independence Day, so obviously this is just the, the logical next step. Yeah. Actually, no. It was even better, because it was Jurassic Park meets Independence Day. Yes. <laughs> it was the best of both worlds. Meets, um, there was a Taco Bell ad <laughs> featuring the Taco Bell Chihuahua. Um, oh, we're was... going to be getting, you're, you're going to get some cross-promotional questions in yes. here. <laughs> yes. All right. I'm ready. Bam, I'm pumped. All right. Let's go. All right. Question the first. Despite the less-than-expected box office performance, this film still made more money worldwide than any other American movie based on a foreign film. What movie would claim this title 16 years later? 
Ooh, based on a foreign film, 16 years later. I'm going to have to go with the Godzilla remake, the 2014 uh, new MonsterVerse Godzilla. That is correct. <laughs> Damn. And honestly, like, they both pre- technically underperformed. And I'm like, how? Yeah. How are they both, like, <laughs> they're record breakers, but also we wanted more. Because, like, again, it's having shareholders. It was like, if, if you aren't growing, you're dying. <laughs> like, you know, grow. Everything, every movie should make $8 billion at the box office and sell. There you go. Yeah. In, whatever. All right, question the second. How much screen time does Godzilla receive in this movie? Ooh, in Godzilla 1998. I'm going to go with 28 minutes. Ooh, tough break. It's 11 minutes. Really? That low? Okay. Yes. So part of the reasoning was the babies take up a lot of time. That's true. And so that technically doesn't count. But that's why it feels like more of a Godzilla movie than, say, because I think he only gets 14 minutes in the 2014 version, which feels... Saxophone guys going off again. <laughs> I can't hear. I can't hear him. But okay, yeah. fine. All right, maybe maybe it won't appear. Um, sorry, guys. There's a guy who likes to practice saxophone who lives above me. It's embarrassing. I hate it. Okay. He can't even do careless whisper. It fucking sucks. <laughs> All right. Well, don't make fun of him. All right. We can make fun of your birds because they they can't talk back. They don't know any better. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> okay. So yeah, like. In the 2014 version, like Godzilla didn't get a lot of screen time either, but for some reason he only gets 11 minutes in this one. But everyone thinks that's fine, mostly because everyone knows this movie's junk anyway. So like, the amount of screen time Godzilla got really doesn't matter. But I'm, yeah, but I'm I'm shocked by that because at least there are like long sequences where they chase him through the streets and they get him on the bridge, or he dives yeah. down and then gets hit by a sub. Like you know those, I'm thinking of those ridiculous. Like at least. I guess he's not on screen for that because we're in the pilot's cockpit or in the sub, which I also liked about the movie because it reminded me of Hunt for Red October. Another there you one. go. Yes. Yeah. Another, another childhood classic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question yeah. the third. Mm-hmm. What company lost their licensing deal to sell any Godzilla-related apparel because they had leaked images of Godzilla too early? Um, see, I can only name one toy company, and I'm going to go with it. Is it? And they produced all the Jurassic Park toys, uh, which I had. So, is it Kenner? That is incorrect. Okay. It is Fruit of the Loom. Oh, okay. <laughs> they were going to do Godzilla branded merch, and um, they leaked it to like that. Okay, so ultimately, a lot of the problems, as you'll discover as I'm talking about this movie, yeah. with the 1998 version of Godzilla was they wanted to keep the look and design of Godzilla so close to the chest, mm-hmm. and because of that. Like, I think it's a result of a lot of the problems, which you'll see coming forward. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to question the fourth. How many test screenings were there of this cut of the Godzilla film? How many test screenings? They don't do that many, but also, like, this, I know this was a, a massive disaster in Boondoggle, so I'm going to go 12. Zero. <laughs> there <was> zero. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um... You know what? I'm it, fine with it. <laughs> yeah, because again, they were like so concerned about the marketing, keeping Godzilla hidden. Yes. And like, also a fun little trivia fact: Sony didn't see a final cut until three weeks before it was released. <laughs> like they they had no idea what they were buying. <laughs> well, okay. Granted, they had faith in massive multi 
billion dollar filmmaker Roland Emmerich. I mean, they had mm. reason to have faith that he would deliver like a, a good broad four quadrant, you know, a fun for the family product, right? And mm. so, and yeah, I guess they didn't know what a, what a boondoggle would be. But anyway, let's let's proceed. I want to. Yes. I'm I'm eager to learn more about this this wonderful production here. Yeah. All right. Question the fifth. What beer company canceled their cross-promotional plans, therefore leading the visual effects artist to having to digitally erase all of the beer labels on screen? Gosh, yeah, now I'm really digging into my memory bank, because I believe there are shots of Hank Azaria playing the, the kooky cameraman. Um, yeah, exactly. He plays the kooky cameraman <laughs> alongside his kooky, long, his kooky Long Island wife, who works, who's best friends with the kooky anchor, who's um, who's uh, an old flame of the kooky scientist played by Matthew Broderick. Yeah, every Classic, character's kooky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm just going to go with the first and most obvious guest, Budweiser. I was looking for Anheuser-Busch, but I'll give you okay, a because, yeah. yes, yeah. it was Budweiser. They yeah. had to digitally erase all the Budweiser logos. <laughs> and I guess that's why, like, I was thinking, like, I don't remember a lot of people drinking beer in this movie, but that's probably why. They had to cut it all out. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think in that, when they first meet him in the in the bar, and um, <laughs> whoever that actually is, Maria Pito, or whatever her name was, it, it, this was her big break. And it, yeah, and this it was supposed her. to be her big, yeah, you're ready for primetime, babe. You're going to be in movies now. <laughs> Razzies, nothing but Razzies. <laughs> yeah, her big break, and it broke her career instead. Um, I, I remember a scene in the bar where they are drinking long necks or whatever. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question the sixth. What actor walked out halfway through his screening saying that it's not Godzilla, it doesn't have the spirit? I, I remember seeing this item in the Godzilla, in the the Godzilla on the Godzilla 1998 IMDb page. So it's somebody very close to the production... Um, you said it's an actor? Yep. It's an actor who would have to be close to the production. Gosh, so an older guy who might appear in a Godzilla movie who would be alive in 1998. Um, you know what? I'll go with Charlton Heston. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay, sadly bummer. not. It was a man who was in the original Godzilla movie. The actor's name is Kenpashiro Satsuma. All right. Satsuma. He's the man who actually played Godzilla in the suit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> He's the one who actually put on the 60-pound rubber suit and All played right. Godzilla. <laughs> so right. obviously he wouldn't like it. He's like, that was a role that was designed for me. Yes. <laughs> I could have been in this picture. <laughs> All right. All right. This is another numerical question, so I'll give you credit if you get it within 10. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Sweet. <laughs> How many pages was the dossier that Toho Studios included in their guidelines for the Godzilla character? Within. So they, they, Toho said, you're allowed to use our character, you know, we get this much of the residuals, but you have a 75-page brand guideline that you must yeah. adhere to. <laughs> okay. Well, you just gave me the answer. Oh, shit! I just, <laughs> I just gave the answer away. Fuck. <laughs> I, I would have guessed 200 pages. It doesn't really matter, because it clearly all went in the shredder, didn't it? Um, <laughs> and I think that's also why, again, like... They were so close to the chest with all the marketing because also they broke all of <laughs> Satoho's <laughs> guidelines. Yeah. Well, actually, not all of them. Here's here's a few that were included. Right. Uh, Godzilla cannot eat people, and I do not believe he eats anyone. If no. He yes. Yeah. Uh, he may only eat fish. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's see. He must have three plates of dorsal fins. Uh, three rows of dorsal fins, which uh -huh. I, he kind of does. Um, the, the, yeah. The three big prominent spikes on the back of it. Yeah. Must have three toes on each foot and four fingers on each hand. Mm -hmm. Which there is you go. What that's, happens? Yeah. Yep. Uh, he cannot look silly. 
Okay. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, now I can see why they they put all these they put this stuff in a drawer and ignored it. Like, yeah, Godzilla can't look silly. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, he cannot die, which they obviously broke. <laughs> um. Yeah, you're right. I guess so. Well, they do. They have a fake out or whatever at the. Yeah. Which is originally when we saw this in the theater. That's when we left. It's when they dispatched all the baby Godzillas, and we thought that was the end of the movie. Um. We were pleasantly surprised when this movie came out on VHS. I'm like, oh, there's more movie. <laughs> I mean, Marvel gets all the credit. Those things have been like, tr- like post credit scenes have been around for a while. It's yeah. Kind of, yeah. Any hoops. All right. Which producer aggressively defended the movie on internet message boards at times, telling the Godzilla fans to hell with you <laughs> over their negative opinion. <laughs> Um, I'm going to have to go with the only two producers I know of, or at least one of them. It wouldn't be Roland Emmerich, because he tries to stay away from the internet and um, whatever whatever he's doing at parties with Brian Singer. Um, he tries to stay away from that. Um, so I'm going to go with the other producer, Dean Devlin. That is correct, sir. Dean Devlin. <laughs> I mean, both of the men have pretty fragile egos, but I assume Dean Devlin's the one with the more fragile egos. So. Well, not anymore. Not after his directorial triumph, Geostorm. <laughs> Which doesn't even happen, okay? They prevent the Geostorm. There's no yeah. actual Geostorm. <laughs> Stupid. Ugh. Okay. Question the ninth. Mm-hmm. While plans for the two sequels were scrapped, the surviving baby Godzilla that was teased in the end credits sequence, bringing it back, did appear in one other movie. What movie did it appear in? Oh, this was um, a Toho production. It, the movie was called Godzilla 2000, and it is... It's a throwback to, like, th- there's really, literally Godzilla back in a suit, and he beats up, like, a a uh, CGI version of the lizard American design, or whatever. Is that it? Um, so it's Godzilla Final Wars. Oh, okay. Which I think is is a distinct movie from Godzilla 2000. Oh, okay. But they were part right, of the so. same series, because Toho was still making Godzilla movies up to that point. Like, yes. the classic suit ones. But you're right. It was Godzilla Final Wars, where they were literally bringing in everything. Like, yeah. that was the kitchen sink one. <laughs> and yes, there's a, you know, like a military guy from America says, like, well, we have a secret weapon. And they introduce the, they call him Zilla. And it's the Roland Emmerich version. And he gets blasted away in 2.5 yeah. <laughs> seconds. Okay. But I got yes. the movie wrong. All right. Just, yep. just making sure. I thought the movie came out in 2000. I think Godzilla colon Final Wars came out in 2004 or something. So. Yes, 2004. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Question the 10th. All right. James Cameron, Tim Burton, Joe Johnston, Paul Beerhoven. These were all directors who were offered the role to direct this movie, but then turned it down. The fifth director was this man. Name that director. So let's repeat those names again. James Cameron. James Cameron. Yep. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Joe Johnston. And Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven. So who was another huge special effects and production design director in the mid-90s? Um, all right. I'm going to vamp a little bit more. Kevin Smith was only contracted to write the Superman movie. He wouldn't. He wasn't even allowed anywhere near directing one. So it's not Kevin Smith. Uh, it wouldn't be Steven Spielberg. He wouldn't want to do it. Um, I think I, I read one piece of trivia that said he was offered it too, but I don't think mm-hmm. it was in. And he was okay. in serious contention. <laughs> All right. Yeah. They couldn't. They couldn't pay his rate. Um, so I also go- how embarrassing would it be? It's like I directed Schindler's List and then Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so I am going to go with um, the only other director from the 90s who could handle those kind of special effects, and it is, of course, Robert Zemeckis. Oh, so close. Damn. The answer we were looking for was Jean-Paul Bon. Oh, Jean Rector. <laughs> yeah. Jean de Bon. Yes. <laughs> And the reason why this is special is because when he was t- attached to direct, he was going to have it starring Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Who ended up being a twister. Yes. And for the longest time, he was attached to another monster movie, which finally came out like one or two years ago, The Meg. That was a movie that has been in production for like 20 years. <laughs> and um, really? he was, yeah, and he was attached to it for like the longest time. Uh, <laughs> Who ended up directing The Meg? <laughs> um, shoot, it's... It's not like Rennie Harlan, Rennie Harlan, but it's, it's, but it's somebody who's like, no, oh, you know who it is? It's like Mark Turtletaub or something. It's the guy who did like the National Treasure movies, or at least the first John, one. Yeah, John Turtletaub, you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. God, I was actually also ruminating on that. Like the all the Godzilla movies have been those like white indie director guys that are just plucked from obscurity and it's like, <laughs> you get $200 billion, figure it out. <laughs> you got Gareth Edwards, you got the guy who did Krampus, you got... um. The guy who did the guest. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of the. Th- I mean, technically, Marvel does that too. They, they, uh, they had, um, they contracted the people behind Half Nelson and Sugar to to, to direct Captain Marvel. Um, <laughs> which yes, I which I didn't understand until there's a scene, a, a shaky cam scene of Captain Marvel going through a wheat field, and yeah. I'm like, oh, that's where you were hiding. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. Like, again, it's got to be an awesome payday, um, mm. but. Yeah, I don't know like what the what the company incentive are. Well, th- apparently the rumor is that half these movies these movies are half done by the time they hire a director. That and is it's like you just got to yeah. shoot like 11 scenes of, of people talking and then you're done. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, all the action scenes are all like housed somewhere. They're yeah. all done somewhere <laughs> In else. In India, yeah. <laughs> yep. In South Korea, the wall of names. Yeah. <laughs> all those all those parks and soons. Those yeah. poor people. <laughs> I know. You get to that portion of the credits and it looks like the Vietnam War Memorial. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I know. Oh, Gosh. it's sad. I know. Uh, but John, let's, if you love um, <laughs> ribald humor like that, um, you'll find even more of it on our social media channels. Um, oh, we get even edgier. Yeah. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> what, are you triggered? <laughs> Look out. <laughs> Coming at you with hot takes. Coming at you with hot takes. So um, give us a follow on Facebook or Twitter, uh, Instagram. We're on there too. Um, it'll build up our metrics and you know hopefully help us produce a better show. Yep. Um, we'll get actual studio space, so you don't have to hear John's birds or neighbors playing saxophone. Hey, hey, come on. That's that's just podcast veritas. Okay, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> this is true to life. All right. <laughs> And, um, you know, if you want to reach out to us directly, you could always reach us at AspiringSnobs at gmail.com with your questions, comments, and recommendations. Yes. And you can continue to listen to us by giving us a follow, not a subscribe, because yep. um, they change. It's so much easier than YouTube. YouTube, you got to like, follow, and share, and, and, and comment. Hit the, hit the bell to get actual <laughs> notifications for things. Yeah, yeah screw it's that. garbage. Podcast, yeah. so much easier. Yes. Just hit follow on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify. Spotify too, correct? Yep. Or mm-hmm. okay, sweet. Yeah. Uh, uh, every... I don't think we're on Acast anymore. I don't know what happened there. No, but... Okay. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a whoopsie doozle. But um, yeah. anyway, pretty much, pretty much any podcast service of choice you're listening to, we're on there. So give us a follow, give us a rating, um, five stars or more, if possible. Um, 
Are any out of ten stars? If it's out of ten, just give us give us the max number, please. Um, there you go. I think I think we've earned it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then write us a review. Um, but anyway, we're here every two weeks, and so um, John, we've got a movie picked out for the next next week, right? Or not next week? Our next episode is that correct? Uh, I, you tell me. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. That's true. <laughs> I forgot to sign into the stupid thing. Well, Greg. <sighs> Next week, I think it's time that we, you know, we've been spending too much time in the East. It's time to head West. <laughs> That's right. We're going to be doing another classic Western. We're going to be following our good friend, John Wayne, unproblematic faith. <laughs> and we're going to be looking at the searchers. Yeah. Again, we tried to look at um, native art produced in uh, Asia. So um, now we're going to be looking at colonial art. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm problematic. I don't see a problem here. <laughs> John Wayne was the, was the best. <laughs> he did nothing wrong. Well, like, I guess we'll d- discuss that and talk about this movie's place in the film canon. That's that's kind of the idea here. Because um, we get let, we can examine it through a modern lens, and you know, like, I don't know. Like it's worthwhile. All right, listen. This is a podcast about building our film bona fides, and this is the best way to do it. I think so. There you go. Yeah. So a week after that, birth of a nation. Let's do it. Come on, guys. <laughs> now, hang on, hang on. <laughs> no, all right, don't worry. Settle down now. <laughs> but yeah, I think that wraps it up nicely. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs> and until next time, keep aspiring. Gosh, oh no, it's coming in again. It's horrible. All the leaves are brown. The sky is gray. <laughs> ah, we can't stop it. <laughs> all the leaves are brown.